today's reading is taken from Ephesians 1 and starting at verse 15. Thanksgiving and prayer. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love in all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who will believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and all authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The people of Ephesus were going through difficult times. There were people who worshipped, but they worshipped the wrong God. This letter is to the Christians in the city, the passage that we heard earlier. And the Christians in the city were very much in the minority. People didn't like them, and they didn't like their God. And because of that, they were no strangers to persecution from for their faith. Times were tough. But despite their difficult practical circumstances, Paul's prayer did not mention that. This passage was Paul's prayer and thanksgiving, and it didn't mention their physical circumstances. It focused on their spiritual circumstances. It's not that he wasn't concerned with their physical circumstances, but he was more concerned with how they were doing spiritually. And that was the whole focus of his passage. He asked God to give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they may know God better. That's what Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is about, so that they may know God better. Christianity is a personal relationship with a living God, and I'm sure we can all agree that personal relationships require hard work from time to time. A personal relationship requires a lot more than knowing about someone. It requires actually knowing them, spending time with them, talking to them, and they don't run on autopilot. Friendships, romantic relationships, whatever type of relationship you can think of will all require work from time to time to stop them becoming distant and routine. And in the same way, Paul's prayer isn't for the Ephesians to get to know about God, as in know facts about God. His prayer is that they will actually get to know him and have a personal relationship with him. He's praying that they will have a knowledge of God that comes from a living relationship and comes from experiencing something of God through Jesus. There was always more of God for the Ephesians to know and experience. And there's always more of God for us to know and experience. And it's this deeper, true relationship with God 
that Paul is on about. So we ask God to open the eyes of their hearts. Now, when I first heard that song that we sung earlier, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord, I thought, well, nice tune, interesting words, but what on earth does that mean? I mean, it's a little bit bizarre if you um, think about it. Perhaps it just means that it's one thing to know about God and to choose to believe in Jesus as our saviour, but we should still seek for him to open the eyes of our hearts. And that means to know deep down and for us to know him in our deep down inner person. You see, the eyes are the instrument by which we perceive things, but our hearts need to see things and grasp truths too. In Luke 24 on the walk to Emmaus, Jesus joins two disciples, but they don't immediately recognise him. Afterwards, they said to each other, were our hearts not burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures up to us? Well, it's that burning of the heart that represents it opening the eyes of our hearts. It's causing their hearts to become alive and be deeply moved. And it's that which Paul desires for the Ephesians. And for us, that means our intellect. It means our emotions, our decisions and our actions. Also that we come to a deeper understanding of him in our lives. It's one thing to know these truths that Paul's on about, but quite another to really take them on board and allow them to have an influence and allow them to impact your heart and bring you to a place of greater submission before God. Truly knowing God better means letting go and letting that knowledge be more than just head knowledge, but let it be heart knowledge too and something that affects and impacts how we live the whole of our lives. So this opening the eyes of the heart will not only allow them to know God better, but they'll see certain things because of knowing God better. And there are three things that he says they should know. They are that they will know the hope to which God has called them, that they will know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and that they will know his incomparable great power for us who believe. Those things would change the way the Ephesians lived, the Christians in Ephesus lived. And they could change our lives too. You see, when we really deep down meet with God, we can't help but be changed. And if we can meet with God and gain clarity on each of those things, and if we truly take them on board, then our lives can't possibly be the same. They must always be different because of that. Because the more you see God, the more you know God. And the more you know God, the more you'll trust God and want God and want to live for God. And when we know those things in particular, they'll help us have a bit of perspective on life. So we're going to just look at those three things. So first of all, that they will know the hope to which God has called them. Well, the hope he's on about here means it's the hope that we have in Jesus. It means that he took the initiative in saving us. He came to us in human form, and it's not us that has to work towards forgiveness. And that should give us hope. When we know all that God has promised to give us in Jesus, and when we're in a relationship with the living God, our hearts should be filled with hope. Later on in Ephesians 2 verse 12, Paul describes people who 
don't know Christ as strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. It would be quite sad to have no hope, but we have that hope and we should really know that we've got a hope in Jesus. And hope is a much misunderstood word, I think. For some, it just means a lack of certainty, often mistaken for wishful thinking. Or hope can be confused with just having a glass half full kind of attitude. But hope isn't either of those things. Paul abounded in hope, and it was a hope that kept him fighting a good fight. Hope is what kept him praising God even when he was in prison. Hope is what gives Paul the boldness to encourage the Christians in Ephesus to live a Christian life confident of the hope they have in Jesus. And it's a sure and certain hope. The hope we have is not some vague sort of wishful thinking that everything will work out for good, but more a case of us knowing that God actively works together for the good in all things. So even when life is tough, we can be filled with hope in him. The Ephesians actively lived out their life by eating together, sharing fellowship, and by joining together. These Christians saw that in Christ there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one God, who is above all and who is in all. In short, God called the Christians at Ephesus to be a living sign of the hope that we're on about. As Christians, we know that God will fulfill his promises to us. We will begin with him, we will be with him forever in heaven, where there'll be no suffering or tears or death. We'll be perfect in righteousness and in love for God and in love for one another. We'll enjoy perfect happiness in a perfect environment where nothing can be spoiled by sin. But more than that, we'll be in the presence of God. And that is the hope that we're called to and the hope that we should offer to others. The second thing is that they will know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Or, put it another way, from the message version, I know some people don't like that, but I think it's really clear on this. It says, grasp the immensity of his glorious way of life he has for his followers. I'll say that again. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Now there's a debate about what's meant by that. Some see it as a prayer that we would all know the spiritual blessings that God has given to us. And others reckon that it's the inheritance that God has in us, that in his people. Essentially saying that we are God's people bought at a price. But whatever way we see it, it's an immense concept to get hold of. The life we're offered as Christians. And I dare say the life we only ever partly live as Christians is so immensely glorious that we struggle to grasp it and to live it. God puts a high value on the community of sinners in Ephesians and on us today, even though they and we aren't perfect, and still on occasion and in some small way act as though we're not true disciples of Jesus. But when God looks at us, he still loves us and is still gracious to us. So it's about understanding and appreciating the value that God places on us. We are his people. 
Paul wants us to get a glimpse of our glorious future so that we will live in the light of it here and now. And whether we understand this as saying that we're heirs to, a, heirs to a vast fortune in heaven or whether we are God's inheritance, the result is the same. It should affect every part of our lives and how we live. According to a guy called Warren Wearsby, when she was young, Victoria was shielded from the fact that she would want be the next ruling monarch of England, lest this knowledge would spoil her. When her teacher finally did let her discover for herself that she would one day be Queen of England, Victoria's response was, then I will be good. You see, her life would be controlled by her position. No matter where she was, Victoria was governed by the fact that she sat on the throne of England. When we grasp the immensity of the glorious way of life God has for us, when we truly acknowledge and take seriously the fact that we are God's people, then we, when we know deep down that we are his, then we must live as disciples of Jesus, as citizens of heaven, as those who truly know, heart knowing, not just head knowing, that we have a hope in him now and for the future. And we must live as those who belong to God. We must live as holy people in an evil world, which is so much more easily said than done. But D.L. Moody once said, a holy life will take the deepest in, make the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns. They just shine. Our job is to live holy lives so that people can see the hope that we have. And when we truly grasp the immensity of our future in Jesus... It will naturally affect the way we live the whole of our lives. So Paul asked God to enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we will know the hope of the calling that we have in him and that we will know the glorious inheritance we have in him. And finally, he asks that they will know his incomparable great power for us who believe. Paul describes God's power here by saying it's incomparable, and it's great. Incomparable and great power. He's stressing just how amazing that is. We could try and say super mega power, but that wouldn't quite get it either. It's hard for us to get our heads around. And just to stress the point more, he went on to say that it's the same power that, made, uh, that rose Jesus from the dead. We have access to that power. And that's amazing. And Paul's point isn't saying, well, Paul's point in saying that was not only to give the Ephesians a deep sense of value of God's grace, but also to show them just how amazing and glorious Christ's kingdom is. So they didn't get downcast with the sense of their own unworthiness. He gets them to consider just how amazing the power of God is. And that power is there for us too. God wants us to know his power at work in and through us. Because, first of all, it saved us. It was God's power that saved us. It took nothing less than God's power to bring us to that point. It wasn't a joint project where we worked with God to bring it about. Instead, it's God alone who does the saving. God's mighty power is the same power that gives us hope. And it's God's power that enables us to persevere through trials. 
When things are tough, we know that we're not on our own. It's God's power that helps us overcome temptation and live the holy lives we're called to live. It's God's power that gives us the strength to serve God faithfully. The strength to do all that we're called to do. And it's God's power that keeps us going to the end. Because in Christ we have that power. One of the biggest problems in our world today is that people feel powerless. And of course, many people are. But as Christians, we have access to that life-giving power. And it's when we take the task of mission seriously. And we totally accept the power that God can change things. And God can change the world around us. It's when we do that that we truly understand the difference that God can make in our lives. We're called to be witnesses to God's mighty power, to his incomparable and great power that brings about justice and love and hope and peace. And it's when we're, touching, it's when we're in touch with God's power at work within us that we can begin to see the possibility of change for the good. When we live as those who know the hope we have in Jesus, then we can truly make a difference. The message version again on verse 23 says, The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body, in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. But you know, overall... Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is that they know God better. So I wonder, is this happening to us? You see, this is the reason we exist. To know God better and in so doing, live holy lives. So are we really getting to know God better? And by that I mean really know deep down in our hearts. Do you really know God more now than you did a year ago? We can never know everything there is to know about God, but we can spend time going deeper in relationship with him. Paul's prayer is that we individually and collectively might know just how amazing it is that we are God's people. To truly know what it is that we have in relationship with Christ. If we truly knew it, then we would act on it and it would influence every part of our lives. In Christ we have hope, spiritual riches and God's power within us and it's that same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at God's right hand it's that same power at work in us today now let me finish with a story the missionary John Hess Yoder said while serving as a missionary in Laos I discovered an illustration of the kingdom of God before the colonialists imposed national boundaries, the kings of Laos and Vietnam reached an agreement on taxation in the border areas. Those who ate short grain rice built their houses on stilts and decorated them with Indian-style serpents were considered Laotians. On the other hand, those who ate long grain rice built their houses on the ground and decorated them with Chinese-style dragons were considered Vietnamese. The exact location of a person's home was not 
what determined his or her nationality. Instead, each person belonged to the kingdom whose cultural values he or she exhibited. So it is with us. We live in the world but as part of God's kingdom. We're to live according to God's kingdom standard and values. So we must let Christ work through us in his power to fill the world around us with his presence. And as we do so, let's get to know God better. Amen.